Just I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of god the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes. They are That mad. was the one lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it, yeah. That's Don't go to rock. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So tomorrow evening under lights at 8 o'clock, Ireland take on Australia before a packed Aviva and Andy Farrell is going for it. He's picked his strongest team. Brian Driscoll, good afternoon, good evening, how are you? Good afternoon, good evening, Jura. All good, thank you. There was some sense that maybe he might risk playing some non-frontline players and it's like, nah, we want to be the best team in the world at the end of the year. This is who we are. Come and beat us. Yeah. Um, the, the, it's kind of true to form, to be honest with you. It, you know, that has been kind of his modus operandi for the last 18 months, you know, playing strong teams and yeah, it's always about setting a tone and and, and you know building on a reputation and and not wanting to um, give a yard to anyone, given an opportunity to kind of knock them off the perch that they're on at the moment as number one, but also um, reinforcing the the you know consideration that every side has to give to Ireland now over the course of the next year going into the World Cup that they are a a team to be reckoned with, and that first team is very very strong. Of course, in the same breath, there's always the nervousness around the string of injuries and those, you know, reserve players not having the same game time. We're always going to have that predicament, and we'll be able to make our decisions based on retrospective viewing of of the scenario. You know, come come uh, France in in September, October of next year, but. You know, you you live in hope that you're going to have a pretty clean bill of health, and as a result, it will mean that the stronger team is out, and we will get to present the best of ourselves. Um, on the other side, you'll get lambasted for you know yeah. not giving other guys an opportunity. That's that's the role of a coach. Yeah, I think like at this point, he's earned the right to do what it is that he's choosing to do. Whatever decision he makes, given the quality that they've played over the last eighteen months in particular, and how quickly the style is bedded in and how, how well coached the the A team seemed in New Zealand and how quickly when they have made changes those players have um, stepped up so like if he decides that the right thing to do is to make the team feel like they're full of confidence and momentum well then that's his decision yeah it is and he'll he'll have to stand over that I think I think in all scenarios you you know you could have looked at this you could have looked at a complete change. You could have looked at a halfway house of certain personnel coming in, and you could argue the fact that there potentially still are. You know, you look at Jimmy O'Brien coming in. Um, I think one position, if I was, you know, looking at it, you know what you're going to get from from Keen Healy. I think Jeremy Lockman, you know, having had a reasonable outing last week against a lesser Fijian team, um, probably if if you're if he's in your considerations for getting in of that final front row spot would he not have benefited from sitting on the bench in a in a kind of a more high high end um fast tempo international test match that he wouldn't have experienced previously probably but beyond that um it's yeah it's hard to kind of pick too many faults you know through fortune or misfortune you know jack crowley is going to get another opportunity Depending on how the game goes, you know, will Johnny see the full 80 out? Maybe we'll get 10 or 20 minutes out of Crowley against against better opposition, who now does look like he's the third option for us. Um, The other boys have been given their opportunities. They haven't taken it. And 
he absolutely deserves the chance to be that that third choice. Um, but then there's you know it's mad. There's certain guys that that are forgotten men a bit, like um, like Mike Lowry. You know, a year ago was hotly tipped as potentially, you know, being involved in that squad, and he hasn't gotten any game time. And and obviously there's the other back three players, Earls and Conway, and these guys, uh, Stockdale, that just through injury haven't been in the reckoning. And it just shows how much the guy in possession is, is a powerful position, and why you don't ever want to relinquish it through. Uh, and that's why guys lie about being you know 100% fit when they're 80% fit because give someone else an opportunity they shine well in it you know it's very hard to not pick them next time round is there any case to be made for more experimentation that we're seeing like what do you think the conversation was like when he was like look this is the team I want to pick in that selection room is anybody in the room going let's try something totally different let's try playing with two sevens this week let's try playing with uh, Ty Byrne in the back row let's like let's not just try and win this game for the sake of winning the game but let's also try and learn a bit more about our team I'll tell you who's saying that is the guys that haven't been selected <laughs> and the guys that have been selected are saying well done coach good decision <laughs> and the coaches like, you know they want to win too and and listen it's it's been a formula that's worked well for them um, and it's hard to break away from that and you do want to finish the year as number one and you do want to you know go to the World Rugby Awards on Sunday and you know, be up for team of the year and coach of the year and have world player of the year in the mix. You, you, you do. That's the reality of it. We're a small country and I don't want to play that, get the violin out. But, you know, when we do achieve high achievements like we have done this year, you got to enjoy it because it's not a yearly thing for us. We're not the All Blacks. Um, hopefully we're here to stay for, for, for longer this time up at the, the top of the tree. But, you know, this year doesn't really matter. It's Can we be tra- top of the tree this time next year? This is essentially the last game where you could have experimented, maybe with the exception of the Italy game, although, again, Italy's improvement suggests that you wouldn't be experimenting too much in the Six Nations because we as a country have decided that the Six Nations is very important to us for all sorts of reasons, historic, uh, you know, sponsorship, yeah. prize money. And then that's it, really. There'll be some pre-World Cup warm-ups that no one cares about apart from the players who are involved. But this is it. This is the last game that isn't uh, like full-bore Six Nations before we kick off the World Cup next year. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, it, did, it does feel like it is the last opportunity to properly try players. And, and it just shows that, um, you know, he's, you know, he's adamant that this is the route that he wants to go and that um, he's he's going for broke. And maybe we are a country that needs to go for broke if we are to win a World Cup, that we can't hedge our bets and we can't try and, you know, we, we will need an insane amount of good fortune to um, to to get to a semi-final, a World Cup final, win a final next year. You'll need a very low injury count. That's the reality of it because our top grade players, our first 15 are in some cases a lot better than than the you know the the next in line and we just can't afford to lose them and and that's all you know I, I don't know when that's not going to be a reality in in Ireland because of our playing numbers because of the amount that we have to choose from comparatively to a New Zealand or a France or an England where there's just significantly bigger player pool to choose from so we um so, you know, it's a, it's a brave route that he's going and one that will create an awful lot of discussion over the course of the next year. Have we done Have we done enough to, to build someone behind Johnny Sexton? If we do lose him, you know, unfortunately, in one of the warm-up games early on in the tournament, have we given Carberry and Crowley enough time? The answer is 
No, but we've put a lot of eggs into that and he's delivered um, for a long period of time and he's gotten us, he's been a big part of getting us to number one. And then, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's those conversations you can have in lots of other positions. But then at the same time, if you look at the bench, right? Like McCarthy, you know, lots of people would say, what has McCarthy done, you know, for province or for, for Irish selection to, to truly warrant getting there? Okay, um, you know, some development tour games, I didn't, which I'm, I'm not overly privy to, to be honest with you. Um, but but yet yeah, he's showing something at training. He's showing an edge that the, the coaches really like. So definitely feels as though he's going to be part of their plans in um, in that second row position. Um, and then you know Casey obviously has gotten in because of Murray's injuries. He's, he's taken advantage of misfortune for. Um, for Connor, um, but he needs that that game opportunity as well. If he does come on against good opposition, because you'd have to imagine that we will be picking three scrum halves. So through um, through non through, not through any choice of the coaches, but actually th- their hand has been dealt in a couple of positions, which actually will serve them well too. Uh- there's a few players obviously who are playing at such an elite level that if we were to lose them our level drops obviously Sexton is one Gibson Park you'd say is another Josh van der Fleer seems significantly further ahead than any of the rivals for the, the seven position at the moment I'd argue that, Porter as well Well, I was getting, I was going to say Furlong as well like is there a case for Furlong and Porter to be rested or wrapped up in cotton wool have a, have a long Christmas lads come back to us in late February maybe March you can play the last two games I just I'm just trying to Front see Front rowers never need a long Christmas, that's for sure. <laughs> that is one thing, you know. When you when in your press conference you're talking about dreaming about spuds and gravy, <laughs> you know that you need to, that guy needs to play as much rugby as he possibly can. So, um, no, I, I, they, that's not the way these guys work either, you know. Like, this, you know, Porter, you know, you see them thriving on on game time. Their, their injury profiles are reasonable obviously Porter's had a couple of serious ones likewise um, not maybe to the same degree with Furlong um, but their front row guys tend to be players that um, that progress and get better with more game time with minutes under their belts I think it's it's more challenging for them to come in because of their sheer mass and size and, and the technicalities around what they have to do on the field for them to dip in and out whereas you've got a tried and tested be it a, a Johnny or a Robbie Henshaw or a back three player that can work on all of that skill set at training and almost have a kind of a, a match simulation type um, burst beforehand in the weeks leading up to playing but in reality you can't do that as a front rower and so I think that's why they need um, just minutes on the park and and to keep them sharp. When Stuart McCluskey went off against South Africa, I think people genuinely felt really sorry for him because it looked like he'd done himself some fairly significant shoulder, clavicle, something that was going to keep him out for a while. And then, lo and behold, he's back and he's got another opportunity and he's going to be playing essentially in the first-choice team. So it's a real moment for him to say, actually, I'm worthy of my place on the bench if Henshaw is fit and I'm going to push like mad over the next six months to try and convince you that when we're playing South Africa, you want me in the side because... I'm like 20 kilos heavier than Damien Dialende and I can smash him the way nobody else can. So it's a chance of a lifetime, literally the chance of a lifetime for him tomorrow. Huge, huge game for him. Huge game. And I, I've I've had my um, concerns with him in the past and, um, you know, I, I think I've, I've had these uh, kind of long ongoing conversations with supporters 
from um, Ulster, you know, that, that are can't make sense of the fact that Stuart McCluskey doesn't have more caps. And I just thought, it's unfair to say that he was a one-trick pony about his ability to carry over the advantage line, but I have to say, he, he does come across now as one of the more the, the best improved players on this island um, in the last year. I think he's got way more dimensions to his game, that offloading ability. Um, I think he's now incredibly good at taking the ball to the line and carrying it, but also taking the ball to the line, carrying hard and pulling that pass out the back with the exact same look to the defence. And a man of his size has got to sit individuals down. And if you can get other good runners running off him and, he, and and he's able to pull that ball out the back, he's going to create space. So I think there's been a big step up in evolution to his game. The question marks around his work rate, how he dipped in and out of games in the past. His defence has been very good. I think that part of his game is really good. He just now needs a monster game for Ireland because... Ultimately, I think you're going to see Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw being down as the two centres. If Jimmy O'Brien can travel within a 33-man squad as a as a kind of quasi-back three and and um, and centre option, well, that's the fourth centre that you could plug in there. So then it does feel as though it's going to be Bundyaki or Stuart McCluskey um, in that in that final centre berth, which. And um, Bundy, you know, more recently would never have thought the case because he was number, you know, he was he was pushing to be number one within the starting team. And now I get the sense that it, it does feel that Robbie is still very much number one. Gary's number number one, 13. And so who does make up the others as well? And, and it can't have been easy viewing for Bundy, seeing Gar, uh, seeing. Robbie getting injured, Stewart getting his opportunity, then going well against against Fiji, and now getting picked against Australia, where he'll relish the opportunity of having one of his big games and really put down a marker. It is the level of, of competition that you really, really want this far out from the World Cup, but also generally the fact that like there is proper strength and depth from players who can seamlessly fit in. It seems like we're getting there, certainly with the wingers. I'm not quite sure if we are at fullback. Hugo Keenan is obviously has been indestructible, touch wood so far in his Ireland career up until the last few months that he missed and then miraculously he's back and ready to go as soon as the um, the big games start again. Who's He's the prime example though, Jur, as well of what we were talking about of an ability, a guy that has an ability to be able to not play any rugby and then and then fit in again. Like it's you can all of his skills he could practice. He's got a, this huge engine, but catching and kicking and and uh, positional sense, you can do all of that in training. You can't do that stuff as a front rower. So that's why there's certain positions that are able to come straight back in and not need massive game time, particularly if they have know-how as Johnny does or if they have that massive engine like Robbie Henshaw and Hugo Keenan have. Do we have any Hugo Keenan substitute replacement backup? Is it Jimmy O'Brien? No. Is he is he now all of a sudden the guy that we have comfort with? I think he's a lovely, lovely footballer. Um, one really interesting question. I had a, uh, a friend uh, text me after the South African game and he said, you know, there's been so many heirs to the throne, but is Jimmy O'Brien the heir to the Johnny Sexton throne? You know, he played 10 for Newbridge in school. It feels like he could play anywhere across the back line because he's a footballer. He could play wing, full, back, centre. We've seen, you'd have to imagine if you gave him a run of games at 10, he'd be incredibly proficient. Now, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know, is that something that would interest him in any shape or form? I don't know what whether he can goal kick or not, but that's just another added thought to inclusion within a World Cup squad, you know, uh, is there a chance that he could play 10 in one of the 
early World Cup games if if he really had to, um, or if there was an injury to Sexton or to Carberry, could he fit in there? And if so, well, he's the perfect hybrid player that is going to get selected in the in uh, on this World Cup team uh, squad, provided he stays fit and he continues in this kind of rich vein of form that he's in. Um, but yet, it's more challenging for him to actually get selected in the starting fifteen. Okay, one last thing then about this before we move on. The the performance of Gibson Park when he came on uh, after 37 or however long it was in that, in that first game against South Africa, it was mesmerising. Like, we were behind the goals watching in the second half and you could just see him run into this space and realise, oh, it's like there's a force field around me at the moment. This is glorious. I have the freedom of the Aviva and then we score the try off the back of it. But you could also see that players were anticipating when he was at the base of the rook, like Mac Hansen in particular was making these runs, that he wasn't making in in the first half. I don't know if the game just broke up and that's what happens. Or if he's he makes if Mac Hansen makes the run because he knows he's gonna get the ball, whereas he doesn't make the run because it's not really Conor Murray's game to play those little kind of run one way, look the other, pass yeah. it back. What's that about? Probably a little from little column A, little column B, you know, the game does break up. Maybe there is that sense of of understanding someone's game plan having drilled it all week at training you know there there's a huge aspect of telepathy between combinations wings and 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 nines in particular playing off one another's shoulders having that communication sometimes there isn't the opportunity to even converse but yet visually you just spot one another a quick glance and a knowing look and all of a sudden you're away or you shout something in a phase in advance saying where you're going to be so those kind of micro conversations are really important um and listen i suppose would it shock us considering conor murray's really gone away from his running game that there isn't that level of comfort with Mac Hansen running lines off him. Probably not. It's um, it's it's unfortunate and almost a bit ironic that that uh, Conor Murray hurt his groin as he was having you know a rare break, which actually you know was great to see again. Um, so it does feel as though you know you, I saw you include Gibson Park in that Johnny Sexton conversation. I one hundred percent think he's part of that level of importance of this Irish team and, and how they play the game, the tempo with which they play with, the variety with which they play with. Real heads up because he can have a go, he can have a snipe himself. He could box kick it or kick it in behind you look for a 50-22 or he could whip those passes out on either side, not knowing wh- where when he's running to the rope, which side it's going to be. So that e- element of surprise, I think, is as much for the attack as, as it is for the defence. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So he was obviously injured as well uh, after the summer tour and hadn't played a whole heap of rugby, if, if any, in advance of the South Africa game. And so, you know, you can understand why they put him on the bench. There was also a theory that we're going to start this game with Conor Murray. His defence is excellent. Uh, and then after we see exactly what challenge is going to be, Gibson Park is going to come on and... Like is is there is there any thought that that might have been not just connected to fitness or that that actually could have been a strategic decision? These two scrum halves are going to see us across the eighty minutes, and we want to get Connor established, get him in there, remind South Africa that we're big physical and they're not going to be able to run down our channel. And then as the game goes on and they get tired, on comes Gibson Park to to light the light the torch. Yeah, hard to argue with that. I know there's not a huge amount of sentiment anymore in 
in rugby. Um, but it was Conor Murray's 100th cap. It's, you know, much nicer to be able to run out when you've done the job that he's done over a 10, 11 year period. Sometimes it's nice to feel as though you can reward those guys with an opportunity to run out, lead the team out. That's a special moment for him and his family. So maybe there was an element of that in there adding to the decision that, you know, Gibson Park had played no rugby and maybe he was better off playing 25, 30 minutes, albeit he ended up playing 65, 70 minutes. Um, so I, I think there's probably a couple of factors involved in, in that decision-making, um, predominantly that Gibson Park had no rugby played and that the last thing you want to do is bring a guy in from the start. And you have to remember, too, the, the distance that nines cover comparatively to everybody else like you you it's like being a you know a marathon runner across this uh, a long distance runner like it's it's relentless it's absolutely relentless and it's not for the fake heart faint-hearted so i think you you have to realize that as much training that he, he would have done in advance of that, that that tempo and intensity of international making decisions throwing passes you know, playing for two and a half, three minute sequences, that is savage on the lungs. And so let the guy ease himself into the game with 25, 30 minutes, albeit that's not what happened. Um, I don't know if I'm like lulling myself into this, but it certainly seems like these November internationals have been very, very intense in a way that maybe, you know, a year out from World Cup previous November internationals haven't been as intense. I'm, I'm using the first half in particular of the Australia-France game, which was sensational. Like uh, Australia scored some of the best tries like it reminded me of um what was Czech's sidekick Knox what was his first name yeah David David Knox like w- we did a game one time where he was in the stands uh up in the stands using people well actually like shouting go it's on it's on you can hear him in the commentary telling everybody that it's on and whoever was playing you were under your own post and obviously you, you know do end up scoring several of those tries notably against Toulouse in the in the quarterfinals in Toulouse and it's just it, it, that this Australian team is it seems born of or related to that heritage. Obviously, they were Australian. Probably there's some Randwick stuff in there that I'm not uh, au fait enough with to go. Okay, that, that looks that's, that these guys have that, and it was brilliant. And I, I'm hoping that the intensity level here is going to carry on through, and that we can expect rugby of this quality from all of the teams in next year's World Cup. Yeah, I, I think there's been a, I think there's been really good rugby played in the last, um, in the last year. Um, I think if you look, okay, you know, from a European point of view, okay, URC, it's improving. I think the the, the South African teams have really added to it. I think the Premiership has been really good. Six Nations has been exciting. There's been some great games, both very physical, attritional, but also some terrific tries scored, some great you know, individual and team performances. So I do feel as though rugby's in a good spot. I think lots more teams are going to the corner looking for five and seven pointers rather than kicking kicking their goals, thinking that'll be enough. I think that's been a real change of mindset, something that Ireland have been doing for a few years now with mixed success, but, but more success than not. Um, so it does feel as though there's a realization that you've got to score, you know, four or five tries to win games because in all likelihood against the best attacking teams that you're going to concede three or four. And I, I, like, if you even look at, at the Australian game at the last weekend, they scored, they scored four and Italy scored three, but their discipline killed them. You know, gave away seven, 16 penalties. So you still have to keep, be mindful that teams can 
keep that scoreboard ticking over. It's not all about scoring tries. Um, but lots of teams realize that. And, and we copped onto it back in 2016 against the All Blacks in Soldier Field. It was like, we're going to have to score tries to beat these. We're not going to you know, kick them to death. So, um, and they got five tries that day. So that's where the game has gone. It does feel as though it's opened up as much as defenses have gotten very impressive and not impenetrable, but, but very impressive and organized. Attacks, uh, likewise, have really um, progressed as well. And, and lots more creation of opportunities have, have um, come to pass. So I think the game is in a good spot and we should get excited about the prospect of what the World Cup might offer in a year's time. Yeah, maybe with the exception of South Africa, who continue to be a blight on the. Anyway. Okay, there's always an outlier, right? There is, okay, and they'll, you know, counter cyclical South they, Africa. Yeah. But they, they, but they don't. But they, you know, they certainly um, aren't l- looking for our approval. No, they um, do not care. No, they really don't care, and they'll tell you that it's World Cup winning rugby, and they've got three, and we've got, we've never won a um, knockout match in the World Cup, and that softens your cough fairly lively. So. Um, you know, you, you 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 know, all you can do. It's all. I, would we take a World Cup playing South Africans' way? I think we would. So it's all well and good playing the you know fantastic brand of rugby, but it that has to be winning rugby too. And you know, in eleven months' time, that's that'll be. Um, all important. Uh, look, absolutely. And every single decision that gets made now will in retrospect have been the greatest decision of all time or the worst decision of all time Correct. depending on, you know, wh- what way the referee waves his arm for the last five minutes of the game against South Africa or whoever we play in a quarterfinal assuming we make it there. Um, just one one quick thing. On, so, Razzie Rasmus is playing one of the highest stakes game of poker that any coach in any sport has ever played because... I can't even remember who it was now on I think it might have been Monday Night Rugby a couple of weeks ago going uh, these referees all have egos they're like they're not going to be like backing down because Razzie's telling them ah oh, you're going to whistle too easy they're like yeah I'm going to I'm going to stand up to you Razzie I I never thought about that that whole aspect of like well you're going to pick on somebody your own size Razzie uh, says macho referee X um, I'm like it's oh, a good point here he could actually provoke them into being complete shitheads to him yeah, it, it could, um, and I think you've—I think you've only so many goes at this at what he's doing. Obviously, it worked well for him in the Lions tour and in that you know video and that outburst, and and obviously what came to pass in the second test worked in their favor. And people a lot of, will put a lot of it down to that decision making, those fifty-fifty calls. The referee, even in his subconscious, felt squeezed into. Um, scrutinizing every decision and maybe on the 50-50 calls people will feel swayed on the side of South Africa that's subjective um to be honest with you um but I I, I think that the tide does feel as though it's turning you know definitely outside of South Africa that people just don't have any time for this nonsense um and and it does feel as though there's a bit of a cult over there of what Rassi said Rassi says um, is you know is gospel and and that's fine that's again that's their prerogative but the rest of the world opinion is that the, you know this is a bit uns- it's unsavory it's a bit childish at times it's not in the ethos of rugby and it's a bit disappointing to be honest with you um whether world rugby um have anything in them to actually follow up on their orish- uh, on their original um impose sanctions on him I, I will have to wait and see I, I I don't think so because he's phrasing it in such a way that um you know that that he obviously is being massively sarcastic but yet 
in the know, court of law. Decide, yeah. Who are you to decide whether something's sarcasm or not? Only that's only in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, at some point, maybe uh, he'll forget to delete the draft and the tweet will become public. And I'm like, oh, balls. I didn't mean to send that one. That was what I actually thought, as opposed to the, the sarcasm version of it. Um, notwithstanding that, what do you expect from Australia then this weekend? Uh, like, uh, I, I Good did... question. Good question. Like, uh, obviously, there's such a mixed bag. You know, I, I, I saw Johnny Sexton's comments today. You know, obviously, they're not underestimating them and they're dead right because Australia are capable of, of great things. But I don't know if I would use the term an outstanding side. I think they're, um, they are, um, they have the potential to be a very, very good side, but at the moment, an inconsistent side. And that's not just the the, get the loss last weekend against Italy. I just think over the course of the rugby championship, we've seen some really good stuff and some pretty average stuff as well. And um, by their very high standards, I think it would, definitely they would say that they're dipping below the level of expectation of where Australia rugby should be. Um, that said, you know, when you've got lots of very skilled individuals like they do have, and I still don't know if they fully know what their best team is, and there's kind of, mis- you know, the, uh, chopping and changing of different partnerships and different combinations. But the, Johnny did say one thing, that there's lots of talented individuals, and I agree with him like, on that point. There's guys that have re- really good rugby IQ, very high skill levels, and they're a team that have always played heads up. Watch the picture in front of you and counter it with an alternative to that they think will break it down, rather than being very programmed like some other teams, like South Africa, like Ireland four years ago. Um, I think they're a team that has an ability to be able to read the game well and when they click that's why they can pull teams apart and and look like world beaters but when they're a little bit off on the physical side and when they don't get the platform to you know to allow those game players to actually you know create the space and 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 you know put their faster players into positions that they'll cause threats i think they can look very very average and and the their achilles heel has been their ability to actually create a platform in the past where their pack has gone backwards against some of the better teams in the world. Uh, the difference in approach that they take is going to be a completely different threat to Ireland's defence. And actually, that's what you want here from World Cup. You, you see what you do against South Africa and their big bruisers. Now we're going to see what we do against the, the lightning quick pace if they manage to get it. And if the platform is given to my see skeletons on the bench, so maybe that's good from an Ireland perspective. Although <laughs> him coming on um, would be great. No, it's not. But um, I, I totally agree with you. I think you don't want to feel as though you're you, you're learning to defend one type of defensive system. And you know what what Fiji offered last weekend was totally different to South Africa, which will be totally different to Australia. You want that mass variety to be able to have a system that can react and adjust to whatever is thrown at them. Um, and by Ireland standards, it probably I, again I'm 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 conscious of not being too stat heavy when I look at and, and and letting the stats completely dictate things. But I think I think we only had like a uh, like a 79 percent tackle success rate last weekend. That's that's very very average. Um, and that said, Australia only had an 81 percent. So if you're missing 20 percent of your tackles, you know you're gonna you're gonna leave yourself exposed. Um, so I think. Ireland's defence has been a real strong point. All the attack has been given the the kudos and 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 gotten the column inches, but for me, the defence has been really outstanding this last year, uh, suffocating, working in unison, you know, 
combinations, really understanding what they're trying to achieve every time something's thrown at them, an ability to get up off the floor, um, plug in holes where you know where would be players are out of play through injury or uh, or just taken out of out of position. So I think that's been a real strong point of Ireland's. Um, play in, in the last year or 18 months and you'd hope that it'll put they'll be tested but push back up closer to 90% tackle success um, which will li- limit Australia's opportunities Okay before we finish up I do want to talk to you about um, the World Cup final last week was it only last week it feels like it was uh, longer ago yeah. Uh, what a sensational occasion and a sensational game and ultimately heartbreak for England at the end but like while we obviously get fed a, a diet of how great the, the the English team is um, through their media, that New Zealand team is also has been building for a long period of time and has had their own heartbreak in the past and um, has had their own kind of path to this success as well. So it was quite an intriguing fixture that lived up to the hype. It, it, honestly, it was a brilliant game, and I think uh, what a brilliant advert it was for the women's game. I think the reality is if you look at this World Cup that's just gone by and and I, I saw a small bit of the group stages, I saw the semi-finals and, and the final in, in entirety, I think we all know that the women's game at the very high, highest end is very entertaining and very close, um, you know, not much between the top four teams. The problem is the quality of opposition when you get to quarterfinal level and that's that's what we're chasing. That's what is the next movement for the women's game and you can really see the difference between professional semi-professionals and amateur players and that n- next iteration the next progression be it four years or eight years um the big thing for world rugby the focus should be about developing all those teams that are, are likely quarter finalists to try and get them those games a little bit more competitive at the moment there was never any doubt that it was going to be new zealand england france and probably canada getting into the semi-finals. Um, and there was years of that in the men's game, let's be honest, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you know, it was, it was New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, England, um, Wales very early on in 87. Um, whereas now you've got Argentina's, you've got, you know, Ireland in the mix, you've got Scotland have been in the semi-final without, and we haven't. So it does feel as though there are more teams capable of getting into the last four. Um, but, to, to, to go back to the game, it was, it was you know, end-to-end, lead constantly changed hands, totally different styles of play where England's mall was, the, was their massive threat. And, and someone said to me, if you had given England the opportunity or said at the start of the tournament that with the clock almost in the red, you'll have a line out five metres out to go and win the game, mall it over, they would, have, they would have bitten your hand off because that was their great strength. And it just showed that, you know, it wasn't even a bad throw. It was just, they, they a bit like England in 2015, they just, they bottled it a small bit with their option at line out. They went fast at two. They had to be brave, try and throw to the middle. And once it got, once it's caught in the middle, that's game over for England. Their mall was, was, was that much different. But then conversely, the style of New Zealand, their offloading, their willingness to play and some of the tries they scored and created were sensational too. So worthy winners. Um, but England will be devastated not to have picked up a victory having won 29 in the bounce before that. Speaking of England, uh, you might have missed this while you were away, that uh, the Babas were in London and they were, uh, you know, doing press and both of the joint coaches were, um, Scott Roberts and Ron Nagar, were both touted by the English media as potential future England coaches. Uh, the England CEO is now 
not quite reversed his position, but certainly he was like, oh, we definitely would prefer an Englishman. That's definitely going to be an Englishman. And I was like, well, I never actually said that. I said I would be the best person for the job. The idea if that was an English person, but, you know, it might not be. And um, Scott Robertson's clearly not going to get the New Zealand gig next, it looks like. Um, you know. No, no. But Joe Schmidt's going to get the gig next time, you know? That's the, the reality of it. He doesn't, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it, but he's going to potentially be offered it. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it doesn't look as though Scott Robertson is going to be um, in line. And I don't know, there's lots of stuff going on behind the scenes that I don't fully understand in New Zealand. There's, you know, the Chinese whispers about contracts having been offered and then reneged upon with, with, um, with Scott Robertson. And I think he probably feels a bit disgruntled about how he's been treated down there and how, you know, the way he's been talking about wanting to potentially bring two teams to a World Cup, win the World Cup with two different sides, just shows that he's got ambition to play, <laughs> to go to him, to go to international rugby now, next. I think his time with the Crusaders does feel as though it's probably up. He wants to become an international coach. There was no coincidence that he came over for the Babas, you know, at this time to go and chat in England against an All Black 15. I'm sure there were conversations held with him and the powers that be. Um, the only thing is, I think I do know that Bill Sweeney, um, the CEO, uh, the RFU CEO, was down in New Zealand for the entirety of the Women's Rugby World Cup. So it would have been a Zoom call, him um, coming in to to talk to to Robertson, and, and perhaps Robertson actually met him before he came out uh, for that Babas game and had you know a conversation around it. But you'd have to think that he is very much in 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 the conversation, as I'm sure potentially Rogers as well, or as a as a a partnership again they clearly get on well they've got a great relationship so you know Robertson's not going to do it on his own would he be thrilled to bring in someone like Ron O'Gara is it is it the perfect fit for Raj to come in as an assistant coach internationally um, albeit he'd have to leave Ilderay and I'm not sure if he's ready to do that yet well you can um, you can always live there and commute you know there's a tiny little airport loads of good flights to London that's true that's true but he's got a good thing going there as well and he'll say that he's just you know, he's standing on his own two feet um, as a head coach for the for the first time, you know, his second year of it. Um, does he want to relinquish that and become a number two again, albeit at international? I don't know. I don't know. International is where these coaches want to be, though. You know, they do. The reality is, and, you know, Michael Checker, once he went to international, he was like, oh, my, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go back to, to coaching a club again. You know, it's like, You've got 10 games a year. You get to go to lots of games. You you know, you're in and out of camp. It's not like the all-consuming aspect that a head coach of a club team is. It's it's you kind more of, than 24-7, you know, with, yeah. with coaching. And I see it I see it with ex-teammates. I see it with, um, with you know, with, with others. Um, You've got job security. I invested in it. As well, in a way, in a weird way, your job security is like largely a World Cup cycle unless you make a complete hames of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That basically, yeah. So, um, but there's an ex, there's a hell of a lot more scrutiny. You know, a club is just a group, a city, or you know, a, a supporter base. You know, sixty-five million people in England. Okay, not all of them are rugby fans, but you know, you're you're going to have a huge amount of scrutiny. You're, you know, you it's um, life is going to be very different than it was beforehand. So you have to take all of that into account as well and and, and allow that to be part of your decision-making process. 
Apparently we're going to know kind of uh, February or March, so not that long to wait for us to find out who Eddie Jones' successor is going to be. I hadn't thought of the Dream Team reuniting for that. The December, uh, what is it? Avengers Reassemble could be an interesting. Yeah. It's not about not maybe a bad Eddie chat. will do a third. Will do a third stint. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he wins it, I think that'd be like thanks very much, Eddie. It's not you. Oh, it's yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, no, very much. So I think they're. I think everyone is ready to move on to pastures new. Uh, give me a prediction for the Ireland uh, Australia game. I think we'll win. I think it'll be a good game, but I think we'll we'll have too much. I think we'll just create too many um, too many chances. Um, yeah, but from what I've seen in recent games of both teams, um, so I'm going to say Ireland by eight or nine. All right, very good. I think um, spreads about yeah. twelve, so um, it, it's a bit tighter. It's definitely going to be it has the potential to be a classic either way. Brian, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Nice one, Jared. Cheers. Rugby and Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Rugby on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.